Hi listeners, it's Lucy. Please don't scroll ahead. This is a very quick message, I promise, to ask a very easy favour. At the end of each episode, as the credits roll, you'll hear a request from us to rate and review the show. Now, for those of you that are awesome podcast listeners rather than podcast makers, you might actually have no idea what a huge difference those things make. A significant factor in the visibility of a podcast on almost all listening platforms is down to the number and quality of ratings and subscriptions. So, if you are one of our dedicated listeners, hi, I know some of you as far away as Australia, so thanks. If you're currently not driving your car or changing a baby's nappy, can you please just look down at your phone right now as I'm talking and hit subscribe and five-star rating? Both of them are on the homepage of the show and they are both only a one-click job. But oh my God, what a lot of joy and gratitude I would feel at those one clicks. It makes such a difference to the show's potential to keep going. Now, enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. Hi, Lucy Eaton here, host of Hear Me Out. We've had lots of requests from our amazing listeners asking how they can support the show. So before we invite today's special guest on, I wanted to let you know that we are officially now on Patreon. This means that you can invest in the channel monthly, and in return you get all kinds of perks from bonus footage to having your own questions put to our starry guests. Just head to our page on patreon.com slash podhearmeout. We've popped the link in the show notes below, and we would love to have you join the family. You're about to hear a brief conversation with an incredible artist. Part autobiographical journey, part literary analysis, and part late-night chat in the theatre bar. This is Hear Me Out. And I'm your host, Lucy Eaton. Please welcome to the stage, Nick Mohammed. Slow on the uptake, so I've ended up doing Ted Lasso, like binging it, and I was very aware of being like, "Shit, I really need to finish it before I speak to Nick because I know that there's." Have you finished some... the whole? Th- you finished the I whole thing? I literally finished it two nights ago. What? It's season two, even? Yeah. Wow, you really finished. Not in it. one night, not in one night, but as in like <laughs> I, you know, yeah. I think I can't think when I started. Maybe a month ago or something. But okay, I was really yeah. aware of yeah. seeing everything on your Twitter when I was uh, like right at the beginning of season two and having to. I screenshot that tweet you did about Nick. Oh, yeah. I yeah. screenshot it because I thought, don't want to read this, but definitely want to read, read it, it later. when yeah. I know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. was filming it during the pandemic? I remember seeing pictures of one TV show filming where all the actors were in their own like little pods in between takes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Weird old thing. And also just rehearsing with masks, just rehearsing with masks on and then taking them off for a take. To be honest, it just made me laugh because... You just sort of, it's just funny seeing people's mouths again. Like, you kind of, just, <laughs> it's just weird. You kind of, especially especially the crew whose mouths we didn't see for six months. And then I think at the very end, when we finished filming Ted Lasso, it was like June. So we were allowed to like have like a drink outside on Richmond Green yeah. or something. And you almost didn't really recognise people because you, you hadn't, you'd only really seen that. that, that yeah, are there certain people where you're like, um, wow, your eyes do not do you service? <laughs> no, no, I don't think <laughs> your chin has really let you down yeah Yeah, like you're real catfishing with those beautiful eyes (laughs) yeah Uh, I thought I'd sign up to something else (laughs) (laughs) um so before we launch in on the actual talking about brilliant literature and before I badger you a little bit more about Ted Lasso I recently saw a brilliant video on YouTube of you doing a number of Mr. Swallow skits with your kiddies. Yeah. And one of my big questions to you is, so for those 
who are listening who don't know who Mr. Swallow is. I was about to say, you, sh- you should introduce. Who is Mr. Swallow? Oh, God. Well, Mr. Swallow is a kind of a hybrid of lots of things. But it's so it's a character that I do that I started doing. I guess I started doing properly when I was at university, but it was as, as like a sketch, basically. But it was um, it's based on a teacher. Uh, a real mm. you know teacher from high school in fact my english teacher and uh she uh and she she doesn't know and I, I she you know what she may well have passed away i actually don't know if she, if she has bless her it's an homage but she um she was kind of incredible uh northern just quite quite camp but really opinionated like really really opinionated and basically used our english lessons as a platform for spouting sometimes genuinely quite questionable views on a- anything from like capital punishment to racism and we were like i mean <laughs> is it are we meant to be just i thought we were meant to be looking at you know whatever we were reading during uh, english at that point and i we just found her really funny like me and my mates who I'm still good mates with that and you know they they do a Mr well they do an impression of her as sort of as well as I do and it is you know it sounds like you know it is that kind of like oh my god (laughs) and she she her her kind of reaction to sort of everything was as if she'd been heckled she'd be like right why do you think that she'd sort of really have a go she'd have a go she'd have a go at you for the smallest things and so I used to kind of you know try and make my mates laugh by doing impressions of her and then it kind of became a bit of a persona that I used to do on on stage and then increasingly I used to do quite a lot of multi-character stuff but then increasingly that just became the thing that you know went down the best out of the stuff I was doing so I just ended up doing entire shows of entire shows based on Miss Swan but yeah in terms Mm. of the sort of fictional creation he's like this sort of he just sort of a jack of all trades master of none I mean he tries his hand at everything (laughs) I mean he's sort of like a he's he's an actor entertainer sort of motivational speaker he's all these things that kind of put him on a platform but he's just not really good at any of those and he just is very easily distracted and he's an absolute lunatic yeah I just absolutely love him and I still have such fond memories of seeing maybe it was the first Edinburgh show you did where you decided to just do entirely Mr Swallow yeah and just crying breathless with laughter in the corner because I he really tickles me it's very daft it's very daft do your children know who Mr. Swallow is like is Mr. Swallow an alter ego that like when you flip into it the kids are like yay Mr. Swallow yeah they are now yeah I think before they were like why is daddy doing a weird like it started off as like daddy's (laughs) doing a weird voice but now I think they get it because they've seen they've seen (laughs) so many videos the thing that I actually quite like about Mr. Swallow and 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 more recently I've kind of noticed this doing it live well I guess not recently because of the Mm. pandemic but I think the last full live show was in 2018 but that it, it it would attract like a real range of kids would come and like you know adults would you know it was there were yeah. kind of family shows really save the odd bit of bad language it was all quite safe it was just quite fun you could hear kids laughing at different things to what grown-ups were yeah that's at. and that's nice. that's always quite uh just quite fun to I always think that with shows when you get certain theatres do these things where they have like schools performances, you know, or performances Mm, where they've mm. obviously given away a whole load of tickets to certain schools. And the show just changes completely. When you're somewhat like when I did a show at the Donmar, it's like when normally the age range is maybe a little bit older than it should be, like more young people should be going to the theatre. And suddenly you get a school in and the play just reads completely differently. Yeah, It's exciting. Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, it's always quite fun. So, 
on to plays. Good little segue there. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, so, Nick, yeah. tell me what the speech is that you've picked for us to have a little chat about. I, I should first off say that I am not in any way classically trained or ha- have a reputation for delivering speeches or, you know, I've never done like audition pieces. So I, If Mr actually... Swallow, if an hour of Mr Swallow is not a speech... I don't well, know that, what is. Well, actually, that's true. Yeah, he would th- he would think that, but I don't know if I would <laughs> I would class it as that. But so, l- listen, so the thing I have chosen, but partly because of the things that it will hopefully spur us to be able to talk about, is the epilogue to A Midsummer Night's Dream, the speech that Puck makes. Oh. Partly because we we did it at school and we did it with the English teacher who Mr. Swallow is based on. So that was kind of my first introduction to Shakespeare. We did that and Merchant of Venice. And maybe mm. Romeo and Juliet, I can't remember. No, I think classics. it's just that and Merchant of Venice. Yeah, absolutely classics. Yeah, they're really good, guys, these plays. <laughs> you should you read, read them. them. Um, mm. And also, so I did my undergraduate at Durham and then did postgraduate at Cambridge, which is sort of where I guess I started doing comedy with like footlights and things. But I was still passionate about comedy at Durham but um I'd auditioned for the Durham Review which is sort of you know the sketch group there and and had not got in so I was sort of not a frustrated sort of comedy performer I was still doing quite a lot of magic at the time but um I did a few plays and the one one that I did where I didn't have just a tiny tiny part in was A Midsummer Night's Dream and I was playing Puck and it was honestly the like if you imagine the most cliched student production of Shakespeare imaginable then I mean this this will surpass all those expectations <laughs> the, the, the pin do a very good sketch about this or they, they used to which was where where they would sort of send up uh, I guess a student production of a, a Shakespeare and, and and the the kind of the base note being that every single line was made into some kind of innuendo even if it was like that's you know there's, there's occasionally some innuendo in Shakespeare of course there's but like oh, yeah. this was sending up every single like like every and every single character as well was 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 doing it and it was absolutely crazy and and the other thing about student production is you take it so seriously I mean it is like the and I remember like at one point like the cast were going to kind of like stage a revolt against the director and not go on stage because they thought that it was going to like end their acting careers at Durham it's like what does that what does that even mean (laughs) <laughs> and then, like, it was, we were all, we were so all up our own bums. It was absolutely <laughs> staggering. And I, and, and it was, yeah, I mean, you know, to call it Shakespeare would be an absolute travesty. But, you know, that was my introduction to it. And uh, I did, I still enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong, I loved it. <laughs> well, that's good that you enjoyed it. Because I feel like, yeah, I have similar experiences of Shakespeare's at uni, which we used to give pretty unkind nicknames to because they were such awful productions and and not imaginative bad nicknames. You know, it was like Merchant of Wank, you know, <laughs> Midsummer Night's Scream. You know, it was just like every time you were in a show that was awful, you just come up with a slightly unimaginative, cruel name for it. I remember the auditions process was kind of quite funny. Like, just because you give any student any kind of, like, tiny little bit of power and, you know, it becomes, like, this huge thing, this huge thing. And I remember at one point they had this ridiculous idea to kind of make Puck two people and, like, play them as a, like, a schizophrenic way. I mean, which is, A, incredibly rude and offensive, you know, in terms terms of sort of as a way of like, because, you know, they wanted to sort of make it about sort of tackling mental health. And, you know, and I was like, well, mm. and, you know, in, in hindsight, none of us knew anything about that. Like, why are we even dabbling in this subject matter? But everyone was really into it. And I don't know, just um, I also think that people were just 
genuinely just drunk during it. Like, I think like, some people just, <laughs> who were just drinking because it was so bad and you could sort of, you could just do anything. I mean, that is the thing about being a student, maybe, maybe not nowadays because, Jesus, it's so expensive to go. But, like, there was this real kind of, you know, to, to at least to some students who were kind of just literally there for the jolly. I'm not necessarily speaking about myself, even though I had an absolutely wonderful time and felt in a very privileged position to be going to university and doing things like this. But it, you could do anything you liked and you, you could, no one was your boss and no, no one was kind of regulating any kind of attitudes yeah. or behaviour or quality control. There was no, you know, yeah. there was... Well, it's it your was, first independence as well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I kind of I kind of love it for that still. Like, I still am incredibly nostalgic about it. And um, yeah. th- those student productions, like the ones you talk about, I know I've probably seen you in some and you've seen me in some. Like, you know, I, I still have such fond memories of going, mm. being in those kinds of productions and watching them because they're so yeah. fun and everyone takes it so seriously as both an audience member and, and you know can you remember like the student magazines like they would do like you know write-ups and reviews and it was so it felt so important and oh you know it was it, horrendous they used to have the like top 100 students they used to like rank oh, you like it was yeah. like you know Forbes 100 most oh God, influential horrible. horrendous but I say horrendous now. It's like you wanted to be in it. Yeah, it's crazy. Didn't they? Didn't they call it like Power One Hundred or something horrible like that? Oh. I know exactly. But I also yeah. think it is worth saying. You know, for all the for all the mocking of studenty productions in inverted commas, it's like those are bold new. Oh my goodness! Worlds and you're branching into, completely. aren't they? And also, you absolutely yeah. And I don't even really say it to mock it. I kind of you know, like I'm saying, I kind of love it. But also mm. because I love the boldness of some of the choices that were made and that kind of blind optimism and aspiration and and amb- ambition. And, and in a way, you know, you kind of, especially if you end up, I mean, I, not that I kind of went to university sort of thinking I'd become an actor or anything like that because I was doing, you know, I was doing science and stuff. But um, mm. I, I, I thought that, you know, it absolutely was where I sort of, kind of got sort of bitten by that that bug because it was so infectious to be surrounded by people who loved theatre, musicals, comedy. And, you know, tons of it, good, a good amount of it was also really good. You know, there were people there who, who, who were brilliant, who you would like look up to and think, oh my God, you're amazing. And, you know, and, and then they might go on and get signed by an agent or, and, you know, whether they then made a career out of it. But you saw, you did see it sometimes as, well, if you do want it to be a stepping stone, then you, you're in a really lucky position to kind of, you know, have these resources almost around you, an opportunity to perform, an opportunity to write mm. and sort of put yourself out there. And, you know, so many people don't always have that. And so you think, God, well, I'm going to make the most out of this. And for as as many kind of mistakes that you make and bad shows that you might put on, you're always learning. You can't you can't mm. help but learn from those experiences, whether they're good or bad. So um, same with going up to Edinburgh, you know, especially when you're first starting out. I mean, those shows are never going to be the the finished art school but they are absolutely integral learning curves yeah huge learning yeah. curves yeah do you remember so when you were puck yeah were you aware even back then when you embodied puck yeah. were you aware of certainly with the speech that you pick, have picked mm. that epilogue that is so famous even back then were you thinking oh how do I make this different were you aware of thinking how do I make this mine not no sadly not I think what I I don't. I hope. I hope I didn't put any innuendo in it because this isn't any. <laughs> you say that. Let me have a look. Let's see okay. if we oh, can. Is, is uh, if you turn this on, uh, I mean, no, no, there shouldn't be. <laughs> I'm sure you could put some on, like 
like, if you pardon, we will mend, eye- big eyebrow raise. I don't know. Could you get something out of Serpent's Tongue? I mean, also <laughs> just the, the fact that Puck rhymes with F-U-C-K, you know. Oh, maybe yeah, of course. Some, the fact that the word that tongue element. is then paired in a rhyming couplet with long. I mean, Oh, long. lovely. There you go. You... We've got, <laughs> you see, it's absolutely seamless. But, um, no, I, was, I wasn't aware that you kind of were meant to kind of put a different sort of spin on thing or, or kind of try and make it your own or do anything. I mean, I remember, but this was, this was the effect of the office actually, like when the office came yes. out in what, early 2000, late nineties, early two thousands, or certainly when it was being rerun and was becoming huge, huge. I think that was like early two thousands. Um, I, and I'm sure a lot of people couldn't help, but be affected by how brilliant that show was, you know, to the extent mm-hmm. that, I mean, it, it literally affected our, speech patterns i mean probably me even saying literally like that is probably from the office you know that's so true there there was so much like yeah well you know you know all that kind of slightly kind of awkward stuff and the the naturalism and i remember thinking oh why does shakespeare sound like you know when you go and see shakespeare it just sounds like people are speaking from like the 1600s why don't they just sound like they're from the office you know because that's so good (laughs) like in a very kind of like well they are they're very written a very different time and if you're (laughs) going to like honor the, the the words then you should probably speak properly um so I think I probably made it feel very very naturalistic in but in Mm. a way that is not written like that and it probably ruins it for so many people so if I did anything it was probably it was probably um, ruined and I probably thought it's ruined it I probably thought I was being bold (laughs) and original at the time but what I was doing was ruining it for everyone (laughs) but I actually I think it's really interesting you just brought up the office because I was going to say that earlier when you were talking about when you were talking about sort of doing comedy and things early on, because I definitely found, and when you were saying about students putting innuendo, the sort of, oh, like that was an office. That was a David Brent, wasn't it? Like, oh, and I can absolutely say my entire time at university and my little generation of Footlights was absolutely soundtracked by that sound. And it's both a good and a bad thing because... A, it was brilliant to have a show that just everyone loved and, you know, you could quote it. And and I think, you know, maybe the generation before that, it was like Alan Partridge, people were doing a lot of kind of Partridge sort of, impre- you know, impressions, whether they kind of knew it or they didn't. It's, it, yeah, I, I mean, The Office is still inc- so influential. I mean, but you hear, you, you just hear it. And it was, it was so e- easy to imitate in a way because it was, na- you know, it was natural, but it was absolutely infectious and you could I remember being conscious of the fact that I was doing it on stage and and then proactively trying to fight against it which is partly why it was a lot because I was doing kind of more kind of character stuff and doing accents and stupid voices and stuff it was easier to kind of fight against it but I remember you can speak you know you speak to like Simon Bird, Joe Thomas, Johnny Sweet, Teeny Ghosh, you know, we were all, I mean, we, our life, I mean, we spoke to each other as if we were from the office, you know, even as friends on the phone, that's how we would speak yeah. to each other. And so that's, you know, then when you start working together or writing sketches, you know, that, that is the stuff that's making you laugh. So you just, you just did it. I would absolutely say that there's um, three comedians that we both know very well, Darren Johnson, Liam Williams and Alison yeah. Roberts, who are yeah. incredible. And they, for people who don't know them, they make up a sketch group together called Sheeps. Yeah. And I certainly found, and I hope they don't mind me saying this, that you know there was a period of time when they were living together after university and working together. And it was almost hard. Like I 
enormously respect and love all those boys. I think they're amazing. But I would say there was a period where I'd almost, I'd find it hard to have a conversation with them because <laughs> almost, because they were living together and working together. That thing you were talking about, about like the office style of talking yeah. had become so exacerbated under the situation in which they were just always talking to each other in that way that it became just totally unnatural it's interesting what you say about it was so naturalistic which it was but it was like yeah. it became this heightened weird version of itself that I almost didn't know how to interact with it's it's whether you're being ironic or not isn't it like whether you acknowledge the fact that you are doing an impression of a tv show yeah <laughs> and, uh, or it's just and, become your or it's just actually become your way of, but but that that was you know that's it was so pervasive you know and and I you know I know people who weren't comedians or actors you know or who were looking towards a career in comedy or anything like that but you know they would speak like it, you know because they were so they would on a night out that's that, that was just how you spoke yeah absolutely it's fascinating that I do I do I do find it interesting I mean god can you imagine having created a show that affects the way people speak well done Ricky Gervais yeah and Stephen Merchant yeah and Stephen Incredible. Merchant I wonder what yeah. the next one will be like what is it now I think one of the differences now actually is because there is so much content you know with all the streaming platforms there are so many input you know we watch so many it's if not an equal split if not we're watching more international content mm. than homegrown content really and that's a kind of a great it's kind of a great thing and I'm in the states at the moment and it's amazing how much the Americans watch British stuff and respect British stuff and you know want to talk about it but I, I, I guess it's slightly di- diluted the sort of dominance of any one thing whereas you know The Office I guess it came out at a time when there was four channels five channels on, yes exactly you know. yes there was a minimal amount of things to watch yeah. so everyone watched it because I guess Flea, Fleabag I guess really captured the nation but I don't know if people yeah. necessarily they weren't kind of clocking the camera <laughs> <laughs> in their real lives in their real lives um but it certainly res it certainly resonated with people in the way that the officer didn't it it kind of captured the nation in that kind of great way so yeah. but yeah there's just so much there's so much content now maybe you know some people are kind of living in sort of their sort of succession <laughs> minds and uh, yeah so when you were saying about how you um when you did this speech, you think you probably made it super naturalistic. Mm. I think that's hilarious because of all the speeches, I feel like there's parts of Shakespeare that are brilliant in that they can be, you know, and they often are nowadays portrayed in a really realistic, naturalistic way. Quite conversational, yeah. A little like ditty of rhyming couplets. Yeah, <laughs> like right this at one. the end. Right at the end as well. <laughs> that's really hard. I'd love to know like how you even tried to make this not what it is which is like da 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 oh yeah you can really feel the 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 pentameter working it's it's you know but i was fighting it fighting it i was about to say so um i googled this yesterday because i was interested would you like to hear the official term for the meter of puck's closing speech yeah is it iambic pentameter oh yeah yeah yeah. it's not it's not is it not it's not. Oh. It's neither iambic nor pentameter. Oh, okay. It is something called, and I haven't memorised this, I'm reading it, catalectic trochaic tetrameter. Wow. Yeah, geez. So what does that Which mean? Which apparently means, so tetrameter means that four beats four. rather yeah. than, yep. Yeah rather than pentameter, which is five. Trochaic is the opposite of iambic. So iambic is da-da, 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 and trochaic is da-da, da-da, da-da. Oh, my goodness me. Okay. Wow. And then catalectic means missing off the beat at the end. So, oh. like, so actually they don't do that for the first two lines. It's like 
if we shadows have offended, that full line, yeah. big but this and all is mended, but then that you have but slumbered here, misses a beat. Yeah, the, yeah. While these visions did appear, misses a beat. This is this is the kind of research I should have been doing when I was doing it. <laughs> Whereas I was like, uh, I don't know if uh, Shakespeare's heard of The Office, but um... <laughs> no, oh I think you goodness. did exactly the research you were meant to do when we did Shakespeare at school with the teacher who Mr. Swallow is based on. She kind of made it even more difficult for us to kind of tune into it because she would she was so into the sound of her own voice that she would kind of keep her head sort of in in the book and we 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 would we were meant to be reading it as a class and she'd be like right who wants to play Portia I'll do that then who wants to play Bassanio (laughs) I'll do that then and she wouldn't and she wouldn't look up and like people like yeah I'll I'll, I'll play you know I'll do that I'll play Lysander I'll play so then she would then have all the parts so then she would then read it but like it'd be like Okay, in sooth I know not why you are sad. Why are you sad? And so we we just couldn't follow it. Like we didn't know who was speaking. <laughs> so she just made it so so confusing. She was a real um, life bottom from a Midsummer Night's Dream. She's like, yeah. I'll play that part. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll play that she part. Completely was yeah yeah. What do you think you've got now, now that you're doing more and more stuff that I guess is other people's writing? Yeah. Do you have any like Nick Mohammed things that you do? You know, things that you, do you have any shortcuts or tricks when you're reading a comedy script and you're trying to bring whatever your brand of funny is? It's, it's really tricky because it, it, it genuinely depends on the project and it depends on the writer. Like one thing I'll definitely do is, you know, take, take a line and then sort of assume that that line is coming in the middle of something in my yes. head, so which is, I'm sure, not unique to me. So, so I will almost just kind of carry on talking until someone stops me. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> what one thing that I did, and I don't do it as much now, and it depends on who the other actor is because it's quite rude, I think. But occasionally, I'll just say pardon, <laughs> <laughs> just because I find it funny. What part way through I, their next line? Just, just if they say something to me, I just say pardon. I just quite, I just find it funny because, because it feels really real. And sometimes if it's like a really important line, I just say pardon. I just find it. I find. It I wish funny. I hadn't seen all of Ted Lasso. I want to go back and see if I can find a place where you pardon someone. Yeah, I say pardon a lot, and I say why. I say why. I just, I always in character. I'll just say in Ted Lasso. I do like why. Like that, I just say it. And even if I don't say it out loud, I'll just say it in my head and like look at them and sort of say it in my head. When you say yeah. it, what do other people tend to do? Do they like repeat the line or improv an explanation <laughs> to you? Or do they, look to the di- do they look to the director like, yeah, can we get rid of this guy? <laughs> Nick's whying again. Someone take Nick away. You have to kind of do it to people that I guess you've worked with before. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I find it quite provocative. I find it quite interesting because both of those things suddenly make it feel kind of more kind of real and connected because you kind of it just pushes a little bit further than the script does sometimes because you know if someone's having to repeat something there's nothing really bad about people have to do it in real life I mean there are literal acting exercises like that so you're you're a genius Nick okay (laughs) we're gonna have to wrap it up soon which is deeply sad Uh, but Uh, before we just hear the speech at the end it would be remiss of me not to ask a little bit about Ted Lasso as the third and, if rumour has it, final series is just around the corner. When season two finale came out and you put that really interesting uh, sort of list of thoughts on Twitter, and if no one's seen that, then go and find Nick's Twitter and read it. 
I loved how you were pointing out things from the first season. So were you aware from the first season, the writers must have been thinking, if we're lucky enough to get this extended, if this goes down well, yeah. did they know that's where they wanted Nate completely, to go? Completely, completely. I mean, like Jason, I, I remember we were filming episode four or three of season one and him set, sitting down and saying, so this is this is what, if we get a scene, this is where, where it's going. And so this is, but bear this in mind when, this, this, and this. And so, yeah, I mean, they're so clever. It was all, every single thing. And, you know, not just in Nate's story, but in Ted's and Rebecca's. Like, there are so many just, um, uh, they've planted so many seeds. They're just such a great writing, te- you know, creative force. I mean, like, they can absolutely go back and there are these sort of Easter Easter eggs of kind of like, oh, that's why, you know. And it, and it, it does all add up, you know. It, all, it absolutely all adds up it'll all add up by the end of season three as well. They're just, um, I mean, not to say that there were, there were details, which I'm sure that they thought, oh, actually, let's do this. And let's maybe, mm. you know, once they kind of came to writing and there were little things that we would do on the day, which were just sort of stuff that you kind of find on the day. But um, but yeah, broadly speaking, it was all laid out as a, okay, this is, this is the story we're going to tell. And so, yeah. I love how it's not that it was a gradual Nate got, worse it was that the dark the Jekyll and Hyde side comes out more and more yeah yeah as it goes on yes there are moments when even in those final two episodes when I was watching them when I sort of really felt for the character like you love him and you're just you feel so sorry for him and then suddenly he's so horrendous in the next scene that it makes you flinch (laughs) yeah I mean yeah he's undoubtedly troubled and uh, and and it stems from the ultimately stems from the toxic relationship he has with his his dad but yeah I think in season two it was you know I think it's it's the same guy as in season one it's just now he's been given a little bit of responsibility you know he's scrolling through twitter because he's got a little bit of fame and ego you know it's sort of going to his head and those things and you see it in real life in this industry as well as I'm sure real life sort of sports stuff Mm. but um people getting a little bit of fame and suddenly aspects of their personality which were kind of there but were kind of sort of balanced by others you know nicer aspects suddenly flare up and 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 then it's sadly very easy to see how people like that spiral out of control we like without a strong support network and that's what I think Nate lacks in season two is as Ted has abandoned him I mean you know not not deliberately Ted's got his own stuff going on but um without that leader in front of him who sort of was effectively his dad figure he's he's no no longer to guide him and now that Nate has got a little bit more responsibility and power he just doesn't really know how to to use he's never been in that position before he doesn't have a girlfriend doesn't have a boyfriend doesn't have friends really so his dad doesn't you know believe in him his mum sort of molly coddles him a little bit so he's just he's just sort of a bit bereft. So it is, it's very sad. It's very sad. But it's, it is it. brilliant casting because I think, I hope this isn't a just blowing smoke up your ass, but you're such a likeable person. And I think if it were anyone less warm than you, it might not work because it would be too easy to villainize him. That's very kind. I mean, but I think that I remember always, always wanting to kind of push for him being vulnerable. And even in that like horrible scene between um at the end of, episode in episode 12 the season finale when he lays into ted and he's like he's he's really like you know he's saying you should be back home with your effing son and all that kind of stuff like obviously that's so horrible but i i was i i almost think nate is more vulnerable than ted in that moment and again it's all in the writing because you know because they just did this such they did such a great job in season one of of making an audience root for an underdog because we're 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 naturally inclined to 
it's almost a trope, right? To be like, oh, the underdog does good and he gets promoted and oh yeah, oh, this is great. And we love that. And they were like, mm-hmm, little do we know that we're just, it's part of a massive downwards. And it's because it's further to fall, you know, and it is yeah. to take an audience on a bigger journey and, you know, hats off to them for being so bold with it. It's brilliant. Yeah. Nick, I could talk to you for hours. This has been so nice having a big old catch up albeit over Zoom, but oh. can you please read us the speech now? Oh, my goodness. Um, perhaps less David Brent and more classic Nick Mohammed. I'll just, I'll read it. I might not be, be able to do it in the, what did you call coax? What was that type of tetrameter you were saying? Catalectic, trochaic, tetrameter. Tetrameter, of course. <laughs> okay, here we go. If we shadows have offended, think but this and all is mended, that you have but slumbered here while these visions did appear. And this week, an idle theme, no more yielding but a dream. Gentles, do not reprehend. If you pardon, we will mend. And as I am an honest puck, if we have an earned luck, now to scape the serpent's tongue, we will make amends ere long. Else the puck a liacle. So good night unto you all. Give me your hands if we be friends, and Robin shall restore amends. Ah, oh, it is sweet, isn't it? It's very sweet. It's a sweet little ending. Nick, thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Lucy. Thank you for having me. Hear Me Out is a Lucy Eaton Productions podcast. Music composed by Tristan Kay and artwork by Rebecca Bright. Our heartfelt thanks to the estates and license holders that allow us to read our guests' speech choices. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please, please subscribe, rate and review. You can follow us on social media at Pod Hear Me Out and enjoy visual clips of the interviews on our YouTube channel. Finally, if you would like to support Hear Me Out, go ahead and click the Patreon link at the bottom of the episode bios. 